Genesis 14 and read the whole chapter and verse 1 of chapter 15. That's Genesis 14 down to 15 verse 1. That's what the God's Word says. At this time, this is going to be funny because there's lots of names in this and it's going to be car crash, but hey, let's give it a go. At this time, Amraphel, king of Shina, Arioch, king of Elessa, and Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeba, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoah. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, the Salt Sea. For 12 years they'd been subject to Kedar Leoma, but in the 13th year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kedar Leoma and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtaroth, Kerneim, and Zuzites in Ham, and Emites in Shaveh, Keriathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mesfat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in Hezazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoah, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shina, and Arioch, king of Alessa, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possession since he was living in Sodom. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorites, a brother of Eshcol and Anna, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeat in Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram God of most, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anna, Eshcol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. 
your very great reward. Oh, may God speak to us powerfully this morning. Good morning, everyone. It is great uh, to see you all uh, this morning. If you want to turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6, and I'll read just a few verses from chapter 6 of Matthew and then uh, from Genesis. Matthew 6. And uh, I'm just going to read verse uh, 24. Uh, for prayer meeting on Wednesday, if you can come uh, through the front door, that would be great because we have prayer meeting in here now. We've made some room, as you can see, uh, on the sides here for more tables up in here. So uh, we've got too big for the other room. And uh, now we're, we're wanting you to know that if you come at half seven to half eight, there'll be a seat for you. Um, but if you want to come for food, there's a table for you too. So, uh, so please uh, come along and uh, pray uh, for the, uh, God's work here in Gabalva. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Shall I pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for bringing us together. We thank you for bringing us to this point as a church, uh, that uh, Lord Jesus, you are at work uh, within us. And we just want to praise you and thank you for that. We thank you for your death for us and, and your life uh, that you live for us and the life that you give to us. And we just pray this morning that, uh, that we, would, we would love you and we wouldn't love the things of this world. We just love you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Genesis uh, 14 and 15 is a fantastic uh, passage uh, to be preaching on this morning. Um, and... Uh, Really, as we come to what we see here in chapter 14 of Genesis, there is a choice uh, that is to be made by every single one of us. And the choice is what Billy Graham said there in his sort of like gospel appeal, if you like. He says, you've got a choice to make. And the choice is this, whether you choose the world with its riches, with money, with pleasure, with sin, or you choose Christ. He's got a brilliant voice, isn't he, Billy Graham? You can't really copy that. That is the choice that is on is on the plate for you. You either go with the world and the pleasures and uh, riches and money and sin, or you go for Christ. I wonder which one seems more attractive to you. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I, I hope that you look at us as God's people and you say, oh man, they go for Jesus and look at them. They're loving it. I hope you think that. But what seems more attractive to you as a Christian this morning? Does Jesus seem more attractive or does the world seem more attractive? The world with its pleasures, with its riches, with its money, with sin. Does that seem more attractive or does Jesus? We've got a man here, Abraham, who chooses Jesus every time. It's not a given, you see, that you respond to that call when it was made by Billy Graham or whatever preacher it was that was preaching to you and said, look, you've got to take Jesus. And that moment, you knew you were a sinner, you needed a savior, you trusted Jesus. He's like, I'm choosing Christ because the world has done nothing for me and, and continues to do nothing for me today. But it's not enough, is it, just to say, I made that choice. Are you making that choice today? I think that's like a massive warning from 2 Chronicles, if you've read it as part of RBT, or if you've read it at all, is that you've got these kings which, at the beginning of their lives, it's summed up by their hearts, totally committed to Jesus, 
You've got lives there that are, uh, are good in the eyes of the Lord. You know, he followed the ways of his father David. All those descriptions apply to these kings at the beginning of their lives. But somewhere along the line, they stop choosing Christ. And they choose the world. They choose pleasure. They choose sin. They choose other gods. They choose pleasure. That's what happens, doesn't it, with many of the kings. So Asa, he chooses, oh, he chooses doctors. He puts his trust in doctors over Jesus. Yeah, that's what he does. Oh, Asa, what are you going to do? Oh, no, I'm going to trust in the king of Aram. That's what I'm going to do, rather than in Jesus. You've got that choice today. You've got that choice to make every single day. Choose Christ or choose the treasures of this world. And so we're talking about money, aren't we? Let's get that right out there. We're talking about money uh, because as a church we need it, money. And we need it from you who are members. If you're not a member, then don't worry. If, you, if you're not a Christian, certainly don't worry about this. This is not for you. But as a church, we need money. We need money to support a gospel worker. Not, it's not money for me so I can have a new car. Uh, any of you fancy? No. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about money for a worker. And we can say, oh, money doesn't really matter to me. Money doesn't matter to me. Abraham, you can see, doesn't matter at all. We'll see that in a minute. But you can say, oh, money doesn't matter to me. What are you talking about amongst yourselves at the moment? Are you talking about Christmas? Are you talking about how, oh, nightmare. It's so, the, the heating bill's going to go up, aren't they? And you're like, oh, man, what am I going to do with the money that I got? Because the heating bills are going up. It's supposed to be the coldest winter. We are, it's supposed to be snowing today. Did you, yeah, it doesn't? Yeah. Oh, man, it's the coldest winter we're going to have for like a thousand years. And it's going to be like this winter. Oh, why couldn't it be another winter? Because my money, I don't know if it'll stretch. Oh, Christmas is coming, and presents, and oh, can we just do deals with the family, you know, that we just buy for the grown-ups, uh, and all that sort of stuff. What are you talking about amongst yourselves? What is it that fills your mind? What concerns your heart? I've been doing a similar amount uh, uh, with one of the members of the church. It's been amazing. This week was just fitted right in here. Why do you worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, or clothes? Why do you worry about those things? Your Father in heaven looks at a flower, and he puts loads into this flower. He's designed it. It looks beautiful. It smells beautiful. It's there for a couple of days, and it's gone. He says, how much more will he care for you? See, what's filling our minds? We can say, oh, money doesn't matter to, to me. But maybe that's what's on your mind. That's what you talk about when you're with people. Oh, I don't know if I've got enough money for that. Or money this, money that. We can say it doesn't matter, but I think it does. I think it does. But this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about having a heart, aren't we, that's generous. Having a heart that's moved by the grace of God. That's seen in Jesus where he says... For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sakes, so you through his poverty might become rich. So that sort of generous spirit being in us. And all that we've seen so far really is embodied in this man Abraham, or Abraham as he is here. Everything that's, that we've been seeing embodied here in Abraham. First of all, let's go, to, uh, let's go to chapter 13 and have a look at Lot. Because uh, Lot is a bit different in this respect to Abraham. I um, uh, don't know what you, how you uh, find it when you move in house. If you ever bought a house, 
Oh, suddenly, uh, everything is up for grabs, isn't it, when you move in house? So if you're looking for a house, uh, your dreams start to get bigger uh, the more houses you look at. I can remember we were opening the uh, South Wales Evening Post uh, to the property page, and there would be houses in there. You just think, wow, that would be incredible. You read how many reception rooms there are, and you're like, yeah, this house is for me. You, you look at the garden, and it's got a pool. What kind of the house in Swansea has a pool, but it, it looks great, and I want it. And your, your dreams start to get more grand, much more grand than the mortgage company would be willing for you to have. That's what happens, isn't it, when you start looking for houses. I don't know if you found that. Uh, we've moved uh, only twice. We went from a two-bed to a three-bed, and in that time, it's like, oh, what if we asked them? What if we asked them if they dropped their price 100,000? <laughs> Do you reckon it might be good? Well, maybe the Lord wants us to have this house. You know, all stupid things like that. In chapter 13 here, look at, uh, look at Lot and uh, Abraham. They, uh, they're together, aren't they? Um, and they've got lots of flocks and herds. And the ground where they are won't sustain them both. So they're going to part ways. It's all come about from an argument. So I don't think the argument's really sorted. But nevertheless... They're going to go. And Abraham says, look, you know, I don't need to say that I've mistreated you in any way. He takes it on the chin and he, meek Abraham says, you choose. Oh, and there's the thought, isn't it? You choose. So you can just imagine him, right? Right, honey, I'm off uh, with his staff and his lunchbox. I know, look at this land. And he goes on a, maybe a couple of days tour of the land. Maybe take some of the boys with him. Hey, boys on tour, let's have a look at the land. Let's see where we want to go. So chapter 10, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And that's his choice. Do you see what he chooses? He says, this land, oh, it's like a little bit of heaven on earth here, guys. Look at this. This is amazing. And then, yeah, it's next to Sodom. Yeah, they're sinning greatly. But but hey, it's just too much to give up, isn't it? Look how much richness it is here. Look how much we can get for, a, uh, for where we are. And uh, his dreams are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Lot is a Christian. Peter tells us that. But here, what his decisions are, make, are made by riches, about maybe the money side of things, the sort of pleasure he's going to have living here. It's next to Sodom. But, but that, is, oh, that is an easy consequence to having this part of the land so that is how lot thinks he looks for his reward in riches he looks for this place which he thinks right this is a bit of heaven on earth here boys uh, it doesn't matter about the city of sodom let's do it let's pitch our tents near sodom and in the next chapter where's he living he's living in sodom what is he doing in sodom isn't it we, you know it don't you that he offers his his daughters to men to be raped in order for a visitor to be okay. And you're like, what kind of screwed up mind is now there living in Sodom amongst all this? And he's actually one of the leaders of the city. He goes to the gate and, oh, it's just a mess, isn't it? But what did he choose? What did he choose? 
He chose that which he thought would bring him heaven on earth. Let's go for that bit of land there. Let's go for that, the riches of this world. Let's, let, let's go for that. And what a bad choice that was. Proverbs eleven twenty eight sums it up. Look, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. That's why he fell. Because he put his hope and his trust in his riches. This is where you're going to be able to get bigger. This is where we're going to be able to add more to our, uh, to our possessions than we've got already. Abraham, yeah, you'll see. He'll see what happens uh, once, uh, once we get in this land. And so it is that, you know, with you, I don't know if you find this, the parable of the sower is amazing, isn't it? Where the sower throws out his seed. And what is it that chokes the life out of you? What is it that stops you from growing? What is it that distracts you? Isn't it the worries of this life? Isn't that what pops up? The nettles, the weeds, and they start to strangle you. All the deceitfulness of wealth. That's what it says in Mark chapter 4. The deceitfulness of wealth comes. And your heart is given to those things. And you start loving your money. You start loving the riches of this world. And you don't listen to Jesus. We're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount that... In Revelation, sorry. We're going to see in Revelation where, where the power of Jesus is focused. We've seen this with the, the, uh, the, the vision at the beginning of Revelation. It's of Jesus, bronze feet, you know, with white, uh, white robe, white hair. Looks quite like someone. And then there is a power source and it's focused. Do you know where it's focused? From his mouth. That's where it's focused in Revelation. So here is the sower going out with the word, with the word of Christ. This one who has a sword, whoosh, that comes out of his mouth. His sword, his words are what divides us. Bone and marrow, see that the sword of the spirit. Here's Jesus' words. And this word is supposed to be so powerful. Oh, to cut and to divide and to change our lives. Yet, yet, Mark chapter 4, it's ineffective ineffective the words of jesus ineffective how can that be oh when a heart is taken up with the worries of this life when a heart is taken up with the worries of food drink and clothing with a heart that's taken up with a desire for wealth and for money and a love for money do you see that his word gets choked out and the life gets choked out of us so we don't grow as Christians. I wonder if that's where you are today. I wonder if that has come in, the deceitfulness of wealth. Jesus speaks. He speaks all the time to you. And nothing is happening. Nothing's going on. Maybe this is reason one. That the deceitfulness of wealth has come in. And you want your riches. You want uh, what you want. Well, that's, uh, that's Lot, and um, there's this big battle that goes on. And then from here on in, Abraham is like just a hero, isn't he? He is amazing. He is like Arnie and he in Commando, where he's like putting on all his battle sort of stuff, and he all the, the camouflage paint goes on. And, you know, you picture Abraham, he was a big, beefy man. Here he is putting his sword in his sheath, and, and here he goes, 318 trained men, a whistle, and here they come. Um, all trained by probably Abraham and, and others who have been like battle worthy and he sets out with 318 trained men these kings have had battles but my nephew has been carried off he's gone 
and all of his possessions. He's got nothing, nothing left because of these kings. And so he goes. And he's not an idiot, is he, Abraham? He knows what he's doing, and he's handy with a sword, blink and neck. And he's a good strategist, isn't he? He probably divides his men up, and, and here we go, boys, this is the plan. And they rout the enemy. Amazing. 318 men against these kings. Yet he routs them. He goes after Lot and brings him back. And as you look at the text, what is it? He says that he recovered in verse 16 all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedileom and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came to meet him in the valley of Sheva. So he brings Lot back. He recovers all the possessions. And then he meets someone. Meets the king of Sodom. He comes with his own proposal. You'll see that in a minute. But he comes and he meets someone first. And his name or title is Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Do you see that in verse 17? 18? He is the king of Salem. And he brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Here he meets someone who's called the king of Salem, or the king of righteousness. If you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 7, it tells you what these words mean. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse uh, 1 and 2. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. He was without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of, of days or end of life. Like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. It probably is Jesus, isn't it? No one is beyond who hasn't been born and without mother, without father. It's Jesus he's talking about. Uh, if you want to argue later, then let's go for it. Uh, but it's Jesus. This is Jesus who comes and meets him, comes with bread and wine. And it's just amazing, isn't it? He is the king of, of righteousness. He is the king of peace. You see, when you say like, oh, there's the, the world it has got so much and it, it kind of has got me a bit. I, I love what the world gives me. I, I love this, these sort of things. And he's got Jesus on the other hand who says, like, I'm the king of righteousness. I'm the king of righteousness. I'm the king of peace. And this is the choice that Abraham's made, isn't it? He's made and he continues to make. He's, he doesn't go up, Lot, hey, I'm going to have first choice in this place, buddy. Look, I'm bigger than you. I've got 318 trained men. Thank you very much. He doesn't do that, does he? He says, no, you, you pick and I'll take whatever's left. He isn't living for the world. He isn't living for the riches of this world. Why? What could possibly be better than all that? Oh, I'm with Jesus, that's why. Who's the king of righteousness. Do you know I've got a righteousness not of my own. I don't pretend to have a righteousness of my own. I don't pretend to be right before God. But there's one who makes me right. And it's Jesus. Like a king of righteousness. And he always does what's right. He is right. And he, always, he looks at my life and he always does what's right for me. That's what Abraham believes. And he chooses Jesus, the king of righteousness. He is the one who's got peace. 
He is the king of peace. Oh, man, don't you sit in front of the TV sometimes and think, this is going to give me peace. I need to chill out. I need to take my mind off stuff. I need rest for my soul. And you turn the telly on. Have you been on Netflix? We've got Netflix, we have, and it's always a disappointment, to be honest. When you're there looking for a new film to watch, something to take me away, and there's nothing there. You've got these old films, you think, that's just a waste of time. And you, you try. You've got these channels on telly, and nothing ever fits, does it? Nothing ever does the job. I was confessing my sin to one of the boys in church saying about food. Yeah, you look at me and think, yeah, I understand you like food. <laughs> And it's that, you know, when Mel goes out somewhere and the kids are in bed, I, th- I get excited thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is like my time here. And I'm thinking, right, what can I make myself? I get this uh, meal sorted, a drink sorted, and then let's get the Netflix on and all this sort of stuff. And I arrange my evening like that. And do you know what happens? It is always a letdown. Always a letdown. Even when I ring and order Chinese, it comes and it's still, I'm putting something in this that it just doesn't deliver. And it cannot deliver. You see this, everything the world gives you, it doesn't give you peace. Rockefeller, who was one of the richest men in the world at his time, when he was asked, how much is enough money? He said, always a little bit more. It doesn't fill you, does it? It doesn't fill. And so that's the choice here you've got. Either go with the riches of this world and money and love money. It is a stark choice. Or Christ. King of righteousness. He is right and he makes you right. He is the priest of God most high. And he comes, doesn't he? As priest of God most high, he comes on behalf of the Father. So he has relationship with the Father, but he also comes as a priest to you and wants relationship with you. That's the priestly function, to represent God and to represent you. So in, uh, Rev- in, in Hebrews chapter 7, um, in verse, I think it's 20, is it 22? What does it say? Or 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. You see that? That's what he does for you. So he represents God, but he also represents you. He is interceding for you. He talks about you. You are on his lips when he is with the Father in heaven. He thinks about you. He talks about you. He prays for you before the Father. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I don't think I'll, that doesn't thrill me, to be honest. But what's thrilling me is I thought of Sunday lunch. That's what I'm going to go for. Or, you know, this week in work, I've got to get out of the way and I'm on holiday. And that's, that's everything to me at the minute. That's going to be amazing. No, it's either a choice of the world or the choice of Christ. He intercedes for you. He is the high priest. How about uh, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse, is it 22, where it talks that because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. See, Jesus guarantees a relationship with the Father, a better relationship with the Father. The relationship with the Father, Jesus guarantees it. And then chapter 4 of Hebrews shows you, doesn't it, what uh, this high priest does. In verse 14, we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Then let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us and with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence, 
so we might have help in our time of need. That is who he stands before. And you pick money, you pick the pleasure of sin, you pick the riches and the wealth of this world over, over him, the king of righteousness who makes you right, the king of peace who gives you true peace, the one who is able to give you a relationship with God, a better one, guarantees that. Guarantees your sin cannot get in the way of that. Will forgive you your sin, cleanse you from your sin. Will be the one who intercedes for you, who cares about you, and the one who gets you, who understands you, because he has suffered just like you. And you can talk to him. Why? Why? Why do you go for this? Why do you set off throughout the land saying, oh, look at this, Egypt was amazing, look at this, it looks exactly like Egypt, it's a replica, yeah, of Egypt, fantastic times in Egypt, they were great. Look at the richness of this world, look how great it's going to be. And then you've got Jesus, Jesus, who is all that. Well, Abraham is the embodiment here, isn't he, of all we've seen. He's blessed by Jesus, by Melchizedek. Um, he also points out, doesn't he, who really gave Abraham the victory? You may look at Abraham and see him all gunned up and all camouflaged up. But who is the one behind all of that? He says, blessed be Abraham. I want to bless you. I want to bless you, Abraham. You trust me. And you look to me. You find everything in me. I want to bless you. And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Abraham, we don't get this to you from Abraham that he's all swore, you know, swagger with Abraham. Look what I just did, like 318 men. You've got to be impressed with this. That's what I would be. He doesn't. He just stands there before Melchizedek and he receives this blessing. He, he has acknowledged already that this is not by my strength or my power. This is God's grace to me. He's poured out his help upon me and he's given these guys into my hands. That's how Abraham sees this. And then his response is not coerced by Melchizedek. It's not commanded or demanded from Melchizedek. Do you see, it's just a response from his heart. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And it mentions that in the Hebrews passage too. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Does Jesus need a tenth of your money? Do I remember in, you know, in church when I was growing up of having some pocket money, you know, having a, a quid um, and then putting 10 pence in the collection? And when you look at that quid, you're like, oh, 10 pence, man, that's quite a lot. Quite a lot of my pound has just gone in the collection box. But hey, there we are, I'm supposed to do this. But then when you grew up, isn't it? 10 pence, what's 10 pence? 10 pence is nothing, is it? It's like that, you take your 10th and you give it to Bill Gates. What's he going to do? He's going to go, oh, thanks a lot for that. What doesn't even scratch the surface of what I've got? But as Jesus looks at Abraham, why, why didn't he take everything? Why didn't he take everything of Abraham's? Because everything belongs to him. Bill Gates, if he ties to the Lord, the Lord goes, what's that about? That's nothing. Because everything is mine. The whole universe is mine. So what's this about? Why does he give this tenth? I think there's two reasons. I think the first one is to say, this doesn't matter to me. This is not what I live for. He makes that point, I think, that he's, he just gives it. Like, yeah, I've read this before and thought that he gives because he's plundered the other kings. That's what I thought. But it's not, is it? 
Abraham doesn't give away what he's just plundered. And so you think, oh, it didn't really make a difference, a dent into his sort of financial stuff. That's not what he does here. He recovers all the goods. It's like you recover them because they're someone else's. And so he gives it all back to Lot and the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom says, hey, look, no, 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 don't give them back. You keep it. And he's like, hey, no way. I have raised my hands before God saying, I am not going to take nothing from you, not even a shoelace, mate, so that you can say you made Abraham rich. He says, I'm not against riches. I got riches, but they're from the Lord. You see, that money didn't have him. He had money, but money didn't have him. So he raised up, I don't want to take anything from you, because that's not what I live for. I don't live for money. And it's almost in a response, isn't it, of like, yeah, you can have a tenth. But it's also a response, isn't it, of, of thankfulness, maybe a thank offering to the Lord, of like, I understand what you've done. You've poured out your grace upon me in that my enemies were mine. I defeated them. Abraham was the one who put the sword in the sheath. Abraham was the one who did the running. Abraham was the one with his men who did the strategizing. They were the one who swords made contact with other swords. He was the one doing all of that, but his acknowledgement is, thank you. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for blessing me by handing my enemies into my hands and giving me the victory today. Those are the two things, I think, that are going on here. He doesn't live for money. Yeah, Sodom, king of Sodom, I don't want nothing of yours. I don't want nothing. The plunder, you can see to these guys, these guys should have a share, but I don't want nothing. I don't live for that. I live for Jesus. And so Melchizedek, what does he bring out? He brings out uh, bread and wine, reminding us of what he's done, reminding us of how he was rich, but yet for your sakes became poor. He breaks the bread, which is his body. He pours out the wine, which is his blood. And he shares this with Abraham. That is what Jesus has done. Jesus is the king of righteousness, the king of peace. He's the one who makes you right. He's the one who gives you peace when nothing else does. He is the one who brings you into a relationship with the Father. He's the one who is able to represent you before the Father and talk about you nonstop. He is the one who gets you and can give you peace and grace and mercy in your time of need. He is the one whose body was broken for you. He is the one whose blood was shed for you. And for Abraham, he's the one who handed your enemies into your hands. And so he just pours out his generosity here. I give you a tenth of all that I've got because I don't live for money and I'm so thankful for what you've done. And he freely pours it out. He freely gives it to Abraham. I think probably 15 verse 1 then, just to finish maybe, is what sums up Abraham's living, doesn't it? After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. That really is Abraham's mantra in his life. You are my shield and you are my reward. Jesus, you, you are who keeps me safe. You are the one who keeps me from falling. You are the one who keeps me from being just destitute. You are the one who is able to provide for my needs. You are my protection, you are my shield, and you are my reward. I am happy if I get you. 
Do you get that? Isn't that amazing? I'm happy for you to be my reward. Are you happy for Jesus to be your reward? Are you happy for him to be your security and your protection and all that you need? Are you happy for him to be what you enjoy? Oh, Jesus is my reward. I'm going to have him. Do you know what? I'm going to give a tenth. I'm going to give more than a tenth because Jesus is my reward. I get to have him, the one whose body broken and bloodshed for me. Do you see how Abraham really embodies everything we've been talking about? Generosity, overflowing, just gives it out because of what Jesus has done for him. He doesn't live for riches, but Abraham is rich. But he sees what his riches point to. Don't worship the created. Oh, you worship the creator because he is your shield and he is your reward. Is he that for you? Can you say that? Can you say that maybe as... You start like budgeting now and as you look at your money and it's just, oh, there's less for me to spend on myself. How are you feeling about that? Oh, is there no reward that comes to you at that time? Is there an opportunity for you to say, I don't live for money. Well, I shouldn't be living for money when the car costs more than it should. An opportunity for you to say, I don't live for this. That's fine. I don't live for this. I'm going to get stressed about this. The Father will see us right by what we need. But I don't live for this. And I can give it. I can give it. I saw a film last night called Gravity. I'm not going to give anything away. Don't worry. Don't worry. But there is a scene <laughs> in this film where there's this woman, Sandra Bullock, who is sitting in an escape pod and contemplating death. She says what she loves about being in space is the silence. It's just great. She says, I feel it's very peaceful up here. But she's running. Something, a tragedy has happened to her and she's running. And she is there. And the guy next to her says, I know, I know this is really tempting just to turn off the oxygen in this pod and just to die up here. I understand that. A temptation because it's on your terms and you feel peaceful up here, there's no one asking anything of you, there's no one you're leaving behind down on earth, I understand this, you, you, you can take a full control of this circumstance, and it would be a nice thing to die up here, but he said you need to live, you need to live, <gasps> and with that she kind of wakes up, but puts the oxygen back on, and it's game on again, but we have that sort of attitude, this is mine, my sort of space, I like this, I like doing the things that I do, all the while it's choking you to death, you're not listening to Jesus, and you cordoned off, no, this is mine, this is mine, it's peaceful, it's my space, but all the while there's a voice coming to you saying, no, you've got to live, you've got to live, you've got to let go of this, let go of it, stop running, stop trying to bring your own peace into your life. I need to choose Jesus. Choose Jesus this morning over everything that the world can give. It's great and it fits in with 1 John. We saw it. Do not love the world. You loving the world is a big deal. It's a big problem amongst us, loving the world. We love the things that the world tells us to love. Choose Christ. The world will never tell you to choose Jesus. It never tells you to trust him. It'll say, oh, enjoy all this, enjoy it. 
Abraham says, no way, I don't live for money. King of Sodom, I don't want a shoelace of you, mate. Get it away. Oh, none of that. He looks after me. He does. And I love him. And everything I have is his. And to prove that he doesn't love, it, love money, he gives a tenth. To thank Jesus for what he's done, he just gives his money. Oh, let it be so with us. Shall I pray? Father in heaven, thank you for this passage in Genesis. It's amazing what, what Abraham uh, accomplishes in his fighting. And, uh, but in his life, we really see that he isn't living for the world. He isn't living uh, for this, uh, this, this world and having a city and a home here. He doesn't anchor himself here, but he's living for, for you, Jesus. He chooses you, and he chooses the new creation hope of a, of a new city, of a, of a world that's uh, just built by you and having your foundations and architect, which is you, and he lives for that, and he lives in a tent to show us that. He gives his money to show us that. Pray that you'd help us to walk like he walked, to have Jesus as our shield and our reward. Pray that Jesus would be enough for us, that we'd be able to have luxuries just stripped away, um, and for you, Jesus, to be our reward. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.